this morning we're going to continue our look at discipleship, at this work of the church. Last week we began, and we, we were predominantly in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, looking at being witnesses. And uh, today we're going back to the other passage that we were looking at. We, we walked through it briefly, which is in Matthew chapter 28. And so we've looked at the, the witness of the church, that our job is to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, to say and to tell people what he has done, and that the world needs us to act as Christians so that they might see what the difference is, and then also to speak, to share the gospel, to tell them where that difference comes from. And uh, a lot of that, really, that, that, that work of evangelism, of being a witness, of making disciples, it ties into the passage that we're looking at today. So uh, we're going to go ahead and read through this passage again just because the whole thing together is good. Uh, But we're going to be looking at what do we do with uh, a person after they come to faith? How do we uh, go beyond there? What is the purpose once we've been believers? You know, what then? So if you'll join with me in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16... Again, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead, and uh, he is commanded for his disciples to meet him in Galilee. Okay, so we pick up in verse 16, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. So right off the bat, they are obedient. Go to where he told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Some, uh, and this word doubtful, it's the same word that Jesus uses when uh, Simon Peter goes out to walk on the water with him and then he sees all the waves and then he starts to sink and Jesus grabs him and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And the idea of being doubtful is the idea of standing between two options. And, And so it's, do I go this way? Do I go that way? So Simon was doubtful in the sense that he was walking to Jesus and his eyes were on Jesus, but as the waves got big, he started focusing on them instead of focusing on Jesus, who was his object. And because of his lack of focus, he doubted. He started focusing more on the waves and he started to sink. Here, the disciples have been obedient. They've gone to the mountain. They worship Jesus. And yet some of them doubt. And, I, and, and here's what's going on is they're there and they're worshiping him, but they're wondering, do I really want to be here? Do I really want what's coming next? I'm not sure about this. Maybe it would be better to go. Have you ever had that experience where maybe you, know, you, you visit a new church and you go, I know I want to be with other believers today. I know I want to find a church home, say if you've moved and you're looking for a new church home, but I don't know if this is the place. I don't know if this is the experience I'm really looking for, and we we doubt, we waver, we want to be, but we don't want to be. We uh, can have that experience as we're coming to know Jesus and to believe in Him. We, We waver, we doubt. Am I really going to start following Him? Am I really going to make that change in my life? I want it, but I don't want it, is a normal experience. And that's what these disciples are going through, and it's that doubt of theirs to which Jesus is responding 
when he says in verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Whatever you've gone through and what you've seen happen, this doubt you have, you're wondering about the future, all authority is mine. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's trying to quiet their doubt. He's trying to comfort them in their doubt. And then he tells them, because he's got all the authority, not just of the earth, but in heaven as well, which, just as an aside, back at the very beginning, Matthew chapter 4, the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth. Basically, I'll give you authority over all the earth if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus didn't. He stayed true to his Father's plan. He went to the cross. He rose again. And now Jesus is rightfully the king of all the earth. And I have all authority in heaven as well. Just another sign that when the devil offers us something, he isn't as good as what God has got for us. You know, it may seem like it, but it's not as much. He has now authority in heaven and on earth. And because of that, he tells them, and we saw this last week, go therefore, disciples of all the nations. And that's what we were focused on last week, that going and that making disciples. How do we help people to come to a place where they will follow Jesus? That is the, the call of the church, the commission of the church, that we would not just follow Jesus for ourselves, not just help one another follow Jesus, but be actively trying to make other people disciples, to, to call them to follow Jesus, to, to, to call them to repentance. And, and that is the beginning of the walk of discipleship. It's evangelism. That somebody steps in our path and shares Jesus with us. And maybe several people have to jump in our path before we start to respond. And then we, we're not sure if we're really going to do this. Do I really want to follow Him? I'm living life according to my terms. Do I really want to start living my life according to God's terms? That's, that's me and my rebellion or repenting and following His ways. And, and each one of us, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we've come to the point where we have said, not my will, but Your will be done, Lord. Not what I want, but what You want. Not to live my life according to my terms, but I'm going to live my life according to Your terms. And in fact, when, when Peter, in the very first sermon that he gave in, at Pentecost, when the he told the people that this Jesus uh, who, whom God has sent, you crucified, and he was the Christ. And, and the people who hear him, Luke tells us they were cut to the heart. And they said, brethren, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And now that they have said, ooh, I don't like the fact that I'm in rebellion against God. What do I need to do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And that's exactly what Jesus had told them to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so what we see from the second part of 19 through 20 is Jesus' instructions for what happens, what do we do for a person who's decided to follow Jesus. 
And the first part of it is, is baptism. That, that they would get baptized. That they would be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and what that means to be baptized in the name of isn't just we speak the words over them, although we do. You know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But to, a person's name is their character. A person's name is a manifestation of who they are. It, it, it has to do with their reputation. So to talk about the name of Jesus, the name you know, that we pray in His name, that we pray in accordance with who He is. That's why to take the name of God in vain is such a terrible thing. Because we use His name in a way that is contrary to His essence, to who He is. He is true. And so you don't make a vow based on His name because you're most likely going to break that vow. And He doesn't break His vows. So don't take His name. Don't, don't, don't swear by Him vainly. Don't treat Him as little, as what is vain anyway? Vanity. It's a, a breath. Don't treat him that way. And how do we treat him that way? By the misuse of his name. Here, though, the name means that we are baptizing people. When we get baptized, what we are saying is, I am part of what God is doing. I am part of his life, his work, his kingdom. I am putting myself for all to see under his, his authority. Not that we're not already, but we are accepting it and acknowledging it and publicly proclaiming our part in him. When you're baptized, you know, and, and the way we do it, you're baptized into the water, and baptized means to dip. You know, there, there, there are Christian uh, practices that use sprinkling, and, and that's a carryover from the Old Testament imagery that the priest would be, you know, have the blood sprinkled on them and on their ear, and you would sprinkle with the, the holy water with hyssop to, to cleanse a person. And so there's that imagery of cleansing. Our imagery, why we do it with the baptism, baptis, baptistry and the water, and why we get into the water, and why we put you underneath the water, is because you're dead in your sins, and you've died with Christ. And we don't hold you there. You know, if, if the Christian life was just about going to heaven, it would be a great service if pastors just kind of held you until you quit kicking and let you go to heaven, right? Because, no, that's not life. You're raised up again in Christ to live for Him. It's not just about going to heaven. It's about living for Him. And so we, we bury you with Christ and we raise you up again because Christ rose again and we are signifying the newness of life. That we are dead in our sins, but now we are alive in Christ. That's what we're proclaiming when we, when we do this. And this is what Jesus is saying, that the, you go and you make disciples and you might teach people things, you might tell them about Jesus, you might educate them, but, but at some point, a person comes to the place where they recognize their need to to, to follow Jesus, their need to repent from their sins. It can happen as an adult who has never been raised in the church and all of a sudden they are confronted with Christ and, and, and with their sins and they say, I need to repent. It can happen to children who have grown up in the church 
And they have all the teaching, they have all the knowledge about the Bible, and yet at some point their heart has to say, I live in rebellion against God. I need to repent from my sins and and place my faith in Jesus and walk with him. And we know that that has happened through baptism. Now there's uh, two baptisms. There's the baptism of the Spirit and then there's a physical baptism. And I would argue that the baptism of the Spirit happens first. You know, what happens is the person uh, comes to repent and in the heart and they pray to God and they communicate with God and when they have had that heart change and they have repented of their sins and they have asked Him to be their Lord and they said, I'm going to follow you, the Holy Spirit comes into their life, into their heart. We talk about asking Jesus into our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit who comes into us, who we feel. And it is after that has happened, generally in our practices, that then a person says, I want everybody else to know following Jesus. I want to proclaim publicly that I am following Jesus. And so then they come forward for baptism and we baptize them. That's what Catherine did a year ago when she said, I want to get baptized. The change in her heart had already happened. The Holy Spirit's baptism had already happened. We weren't doing anything for the Lord. We were just showing what had already taken place in a human way. And and we were marking the beginning of her relationship with Jesus because baptism marks the change in our relationship with Jesus from one of being in rebellion, from one of being I'm doing my own thing, to one of being saying He is Lord. That's what the baptism is. It is making Him, in essence, Lord. And it can look different. One of my favorite uh, statements of faith is actually from the movie The Robe where Marcus Aurelius just says, I pledge my life, my my honor, my wealth to his service. You know, it's just boom. I give him everything. That's I'm gonna walk for him now. You know, it doesn't, it's not I accept him into my heart, but I give him everything I have. My statement when I was baptized was, Lord, I quit. You know. I've been living my own life. I'm tired of it. I quit. Whatever you want of my life, you can have it. I don't remember asking him to come into my heart, although I'd done it a dozen times prior and never had it effective. But when I said, in essence, Lord, I quit. I'm done. I know that was when I was saved because the next morning I felt the Holy Spirit's presence in my life for the first time. And the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is a good indicator of whether you're saved or not because as I look back on even though I was raised in the church and even though I had proclaimed faith in Christ many times I had no understanding no knowledge of the Holy Spirit and how he guides us and directs us but when I said Lord I quit I felt the Holy Spirit from that point on and that's when I was saved. That's when I was baptized in the Spirit. And, you know, here's the funny thing, though. I had been baptized as a kid. But I recognized through the year that followed, I needed to be baptized as a believer now. And so I submitted myself for baptism again. And, and there are denominations that baptize children. They baptize infants. And, the you know, you can kind of see where they do it here. Baptize them. Make disciples. How? By baptizing them. So we baptize them as early as we can. 
We make him a disciple and we teach him, you know, confirmation class and, and catechism and all that. And that's what confirmation is, is a confirmation of the baptism that happened earlier. They, they, they just, you know, we baptize you and now we're looking for it to catch. And whenever it does catch and the Holy Spirit baptizes them, well, that's a confirmation of the early one. Now, there are people who believe that way, and I believe they're devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We just happen to think, no, baptism comes after. It's a public sign. It's a physical human sign of what God has already done in our lives. It's the, it's the, it's the, the mark in between evangelism and walking with Christ. You know, being a stranger to Christ and walking with Him. Not caring what He wants you to do in life and then pretty much only caring what does Jesus want in my life. That is what I'm focused on. And so the first, the, 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 the change in our relationship with Jesus begins with baptism. And I, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that Jesus, when He said what He told us to go and make disciples, to teach them, Part of that was baptized. I mean, it's, it's a one-time thing. It happens within seconds. It's over. But it's important because it marks that change in our hearts and in our minds that I walk with Christ. And we don't... You can be saved without it, obviously, because the, uh, the man on the cross, you know, the thief on the cross, he didn't have time to be baptized. But it marks our walking with him. And it was a commandment of Jesus that we be baptized. And so, here, here's, a, I mean, it, it, it's the first thing you do, really, that's in obedience to Christ. He has commanded that we be baptized. He has commanded that we repent and follow him. So, you, you repent and you follow in baptism. That's, that's the first act of obedience. And, and living a life of obedience with Christ. So it's an important step in our lives. The second part that he has, though, after we baptize them, after you baptize a person, what then? Well, verse 28, or excuse me, verse 20 in chapter 28, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It's so easy. Teaching them to, command, you know, to observe all that I commanded you. Just stop and think of all. All that Jesus commanded. Thanks, Jesus. That's a lot of stuff that fits into that. You know? Teaching them all that I've commanded. To observe all that I commanded. There are three main points here. To teach. To observe. And then focusing on what has been commanded. And this word teach, teaching them to observe. Uh, the idea of teaching is, is kind of interesting. You know, sometimes we can, we can take teaching to be, let me give you my wisdom. You know, I, maybe you've been in a class at some point in school or in university at some point where, where a person just talked and everybody took furious notes. And they were just talking and you're writing as fast as you can or you're trying to get whatever you could. And, and it just felt like a fire hydrant you know, was opened up. That's not teaching. Maybe, but it's certainly not teaching. Teaching has with it the idea, the, the word teaching that's used here is the Greek word didasko. 
And it comes from a word, dao, which means to learn. So the focus is on learning. The focus is on the learner. To teach literally means to cause to learn. Not just to show how brilliant I am. Not just show you what I've learned. But to cause to learn. So when Jesus says, teaching them to observe, to cause them to learn all, uh, to learn to observe all that I command you, to cause to learn. To, when we teach, if you're a Sunday school teacher or a Bible study teacher, if you're teaching, your first focus is, uh, as you teach, is the question, how do I help those I am teaching to learn? How do I help them learn this? It's not enough uh, for a teacher in their private study, oh, you learn so much wonderful stuff. You, you, you get so much good stuff. And it can be so much fun just to expound on all that you've learned. But that's not the point. It's not to show what we've known or shown what we've learned or show how brilliant we are. It's how do I help? How do I cause another person in this relationship, whether it's one or a hundred or a thousand, how do I help? How do I cause them to learn? How do I help them grasp this? How do I help them apply it to their lives? That's what matters. All the other stuff is the foundation, the background. But as we come to a time of teaching, as we come to a time of, of educating, the question is, how do I help them grasp this concept? How do I help? How do I cause them to learn. The focus is not on the teacher, it's on the audience. And, and we see this even in Jesus' teaching. Jesus knew a bunch of stuff. And he didn't have need for anybody to tell him anything. You know, he didn't even need God, the people to tell him about human hearts. He understood human hearts. But when he went to teaching, how did he go about it? He taught in parables. Specifically so that some people wouldn't get what he was teaching and so that other people would get what he was teaching. So he actually had, part of his purpose was that the people he was teaching wouldn't get it. But that some people that he was teaching would get it. And that they would get it in such a way that they could apply it in their lives. And that's what's so wonderful about, wonderful about parables and stories is so often they're easier to grasp when you actually can get it, it makes a lot of sense. And we're able to look at our lives and we're able to say, oh, I, I recognize whether I'm more like thorny soil or am I like rocky soil or am I like the road, but I want to be good soil. How do I become good soil? And outsiders look at us like, are you crazy? What are you going on about? But those who know the, the, the parable, we understand. Oh, I want to be good soil because I want to bear fruit. How do I become good? good soil. And so Jesus taught in such a way that we could get it. And this is the, this is the difficulty. How do we teach in such a way? How do we share what Jesus has commanded in such a way that the people we're teaching actually grasp it, actually understand it, actually are able to live it out? Our focus when we come together, even in here 
uh, you know, my question isn't when I'm thinking about a new sermon series, it's not a question of what do I feel like doing. The question generally is, what do we as a congregation need? What do we need to focus on? What do we need to, to think about? What's lacking maybe in our lives? That's the beginning. And then it's how do I make it, you know, where I'm not just saying something that I like, but hopefully I'm using, you know, even in these points, how do I phrase them so that something that you can walk away with? And quite frankly, that if we had a, we don't have currently like a five-year-old or a seven-year-old in here, but if we did, would they be able to grasp it too? You know, because sometimes it can be very easy just to talk to adults. It's harder to try to get things down to a simpler level. So our focus is on the learner. Who are we talking to? Who are we teaching? And, and we can apply that to our evangelism. Our focus should be on how do I help this person understand the gospel? Or at least proclaim it clearly enough that if they reject it, they know what they're rejecting. And what are we, what are we teaching them? It says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So our, our focus on what do we teach, as far as Jesus is concerned, what he has told us to do is to teach all that he has commanded. So he, he told it to the disciples first, so what do we see? Peter preaches, a whole bunch of people come to faith. In fact, there are so many people that they're starting to have problems. Some of the women, some of the widows that aren't, aren't getting fed in the and they're complaining about it. And the, the, what do the apostles say? They say, this is a real problem, but it, it's going to distract us from our primary objective. Let's, let's have you guys assign seven good men who can take care of the feeding of, of making sure everybody is getting the right amount of food so that we can focus on prayer and proclamation of the word. Because the early church, think about it, all these people, what did they do? They didn't grow up in Christ. They came to him, and now what do we do? Well, get baptized. Great, what next? Well, the apostles had to start teaching them, and so we're told that the people were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. But when we talk about the apostles' teaching, what we're really talking about is what they were teaching the people that Jesus had commanded them. I think sometimes we can get focused on, you know, following this person or that person. You ever, you know, so, I mean, and there are good teachers out there, right? On the radio, on TV, there can be some really, in the bookstores, there are good teachers that say and, and can open up Scripture for us and help us to, to see it in such fresh ways. But our focus should never be on their teaching. Our focus should be, and hopefully what they are doing when they open up the word for us and help us to understand it, is that they're pointing us back to Christ because it is what he has commanded us that is supposed to be taught. What matters is what Jesus has taught. Not what the humans have taught. Not what the apostles taught. Even, even with Paul, Paul has taught some stuff. The question is, is, is what Paul has taught, what Jesus taught. Jesus is the focus. His commandments are the focus. What, is, what has he told us to do? What has he commanded 
us to do and given us orders to do, that is what matters. That's what we should teach. What does Jesus say? And not just what He said, but why He said. It's not just love your enemies. Why does He want us to love our enemies? Well, because that's how God is. Because He loves the wicked good and he sends the rain to the wicked and the good and if he loves us in that way that he loved us when we were enemies of his we should love others too so it's not just the 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 robotic do this because i said so but we teach what he has commanded because of who he is it goes back to his name his character what kind of a person is God. His character. How do, I, how do we teach one another not just what Jesus said, but the character of God behind what he said? That's supposed to be our focus. Nothing else really matters but what Jesus has said. And, and so when we get together and we're in Bible study and we have, you know, well, I feel like the Lord's showing me this. I see this and that. The root of it is, okay, what's God really saying here? Beyond what I, I am comfort, I'm comfortable with, what I like, what is he saying? And, and you might have noticed I skipped over a little bit, so we're, we're teaching Jesus' commandments. You know, focuses on the learner, that we would help people to learn what Jesus has taught. But the part in the middle, to observe all that I commanded you. Teaching them to observe. That word observe means to keep, to maintain, to live out. It's not enough that we would grow with head knowledge. It's not enough that we would help people to understand, well, I know this passage or this scripture. But ultimately, we are trying to teach one another, and and for those who have walked with Christ are trying to give a knowledge and an understanding to those who have not walked with him as long of what he has commanded that we might observe it. Not just uh, know it, but to live it out, to keep it with our lives. So, so when we talk about loving our enemies, it's not enough that we know the phrase and that we can tell you where it's in the Bible, but that we actually live it out and love our enemies. That's the end goal of Jesus' commandments. Not that we would just have a head knowledge of it, but that we would observe it, that we would live that way. That's his focus, that's his desire for us, is that we would live as he would have us to live. That we would be, as we come together, as we're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that begins us on a journey of learning how to live like Christ and, and learning his commandments and recognizing every step of the way just how far away we originally were from him. And I'm growing every day in Christ. And there are people around me who will help teach me different things. Help me to learn more about who God is and what His character is. What He has taught us to do that I would be strengthened and straightened out. That I would observe to live it out. And that's what discipleship is. You know, it's, it's not a, a quick thing. We become disciples quickly, but the life of discipleship occurs over years. You know, it's just like Paul and the writer of Hebrews, they talk about you know, being on milk versus meat, and, and, and we should be you know, people eating meat, but we have need to go back to the elementary things to continue to drink milk like a baby. 
and, and, and there's an acknowledgement of it that there's a time in our life as, Christ, as Christians for drinking milk, for being babies, that we're babies in Christ, and, and we just need the most rudimentary ideas. But then we learn how to crawl in Christ. And then we learn how to walk in Christ, to glide along, holding on to other things and other people. But then we learn how to walk in Christ. And then after time, we learn how to run in Christ. And then we keep on learning how to run and run with endurance. The race marked out before us. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually in our lives. And that's what discipleship is. Discipleship results in a gradual change in how we live. It, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, but, but over time, we should see a change that we become more and more like Christ as we start living out and observing and keeping those commandments that we have been taught. That, that's the focus. That's the point, that we would be growing in Him. And, and as we're growing in Him, hopefully, we're telling other people about Him and bringing them along. And we're able to, to share with them what we know to help them to learn. There's such a focus on, on learning through this that, that this is why our primary mode of discipleship is Bible study. We come together, this is part of it. We, we, we go into the Word and I try to share with you what God is saying in the Word. And then we have a morning Bible study on Monday, on Wednesday night. And, and these times that we come around the Bible together and we talk about what has Christ said? How am I living this out? And, and hopefully we have relationships with people outside of those Bible studies where a person might say, you know, I, I noticed this about you. And it seems contradictory to what Christ is calling us to be. Have you seen that too? You know, they, they, they might convict us. They might help point out a sin in our lives. And then they help us to, to seek Christ that we might walk in a better way. One of the things that has been a struggle for me is, is that so much of this, the way we do discipleship as a church in America is very, um, I don't know, hands-off, I guess, to a certain extent. You know, we, we have Bible studies, and they're there for you to use, but is there any, any real accountability in it? Are, are we growing in it? Are we really, truly walking with Christ in a better way today than five years ago, ten years ago. As a pastor, that's one of the things that really gets to me and haunts me is, are we truly as a people walking with Christ better than we did a year ago? Are we closer to Him? Are we living out more what He has commanded us? Because that's the focus. That's the issue. And it feels like there's not really, you know, we, we do the Bible studies, but how do we see the growth? How do we see the change in our lives the way we do it? And, and I've struggled and questioned, how can we do this better? And uh, one of the things I shared with uh, the ministry conference on Sunday, uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, the, the church supported me in doing the pastor practicum. You know, we brought in, we had Brian Berry, uh, joined us, and he and I worked together. And he, he worked on his preaching, and he worked in pastoral ministry, and I got to walk alongside with him and say, yeah, you know, this is how I do it, but, you know, and I got to learn things from him. It was a discipleship 
relationship. It was a mentoring relationship where, where he was driving things. It was about how do we help him learn pastoral ministry. And then I walked with him through it and saw the change. And, uh, of course, with the COVID-19 pandemic stuff, the, the pastoral practicum, uh, I was talking to a candidate, and that went away. And this year, I've been struggling with this question of discipleship, as I've struggled with it for years, to be honest. How can we do it a better way, where we actually see change or growth, or where we're not just doing Bible studies, but we can do something more? And, and this fall, what I have felt the Lord leading me to do, and, and I'm planning it for next year, but we could start it this week, is to take the, the, the basic idea of the practicum and just apply it to everybody as believers. Okay, and, and so this is what I'm talking about. That, uh, and I've always been available for this, but never in a structured way like this. And I, I really want to put it out there to you. That I would like, if there is a way that you want to walk with Christ in a new way, if there is something that you are challenged by or just want to be challenged, maybe. Maybe you feel like you're just coasting along and you would like somebody to, to, to talk with you for a little bit and figure out what is Christ calling you to do at this stage in your life. Maybe you have a desire to teach Bible study and you've never done it and you would like to walk through to begin to do that. That I am going to say, I'm available to you. And I've thought about making, you know, like I've got five slots available. No, I don't need to do that. But just, if there is a way that you would like to walk with Christ, to grow in Him, to specifically sit down and talk about it, I want you to give me a, a, an email or to come up and tell me or to give us a call here at the, the church and say, hey, I want to set something up. And we can meet on a weekly, we can meet on a bi-weekly, we can meet on a monthly, depending on the need that we have. And it's not based on my desires, it's not based on my agenda, it will be based on your agenda because it's about the learner. What do you feel God calling you to? Or maybe you're, you're stuck and you're wanting to say, how do I get unstuck out of this? That's what I'm here for. That's what I've been here for for 12 years. And I don't feel like we're doing a very good job of using me in that way. And I haven't been doing a very good job of putting myself in that way. And so I just want to offer you, uh, it's, 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 you know, discipleship, one-on-one. -on -one. We'll get together and we'll figure out what do you need, what would work. Let's walk through it. It may just be a couple of weeks, and that's all you needed. But it'll be based on what you desire. Right? So give me a call, send me an email, or come tell me, I want to do that. Let's set up a time to meet and talk about it. Because discipleship needs to be about growing and, and, you know, and walking with. And that's what I feel like sometimes we're missing out, is, is that walking with, that regular getting together. And maybe you'd like to do it, but you'd like to do it with somebody else. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, your Bible study leader. Maybe you need to go to them and say, hey, I want to meet at a time other than our normal meetings, just one-on-one, -on -one, so I can work on something with you, or I can grow in this with you. But I really want to encourage you. Let's see how we can help one another to grow, to learn what Jesus has commanded. Not just to learn it, but to observe it, to live it out. And, and the wonderful thing is, you know, Jesus said, all authority, and he said, I'm with you to the end of the age. He is the beginning of it, and he is the end of it. He is the focus of our lives. 
He has the authority to change us and to help us to grow in Him. And He's not going to quit until the end. So the whole thing is under His authority, under His guidance. And I want to invite you to walk with me as we grow in Christ together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we ask You, Lord, and we pray that You would help us to teach one another to grow in Your commandments. Lord, I pray as we do it that it would be based on Your guidance and Your Holy Spirit's leading, not based on our, our thoughts so much. We all have a wonderful plan for other people's lives, but Lord, it's what You desire, what Your plan is for our lives that matters. And we pray that we would encourage one another and teach one another to observe what you have commanded, to, to live out the walk of Jesus Christ in our lives. We pray, Father, for anyone here today who has heard the call of Jesus, who recognizes their sin and their rebellion against you. Father, we pray that they would come to that place where they say, what must I do? That they would repent. That they would turn to you and decide to live out the life that you have given us through Jesus Christ, that they would believe in him, repent of their sins, and start to follow Jesus. And we pray, Lord, if there is anyone here who has made that decision, that they would desire to follow in obedience through believer's baptism, to let the world know, this is the path I am on. I follow Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to continue to be witnesses for Jesus and to help people grow in Him. We ask these today in Jesus' name. Amen.